Amen. Amen. While you're being seated, if you have a little one that would like to be a part of Children's Church, Miss Summer is serving for us today, and so you can send those out. Now, while they're making their way out, let me invite you to take out your copy of God's Word and turn with me to 1 John. We're at the very end of 1 John. We've walked through these five chapters today, or this over the last few weeks, and we find ourselves coming to the end of 1 John, and we get to hear how John finishes his encouragement to the church. While you're turning there, let me give you just a little bit of an infomercial. Next Sunday begins Advent, begins the coming of Christ in Christmas. So we're going to begin a, a Christmas series out of Luke simply entitled Hope is Born. So I hope you will join me uh, next week as we begin our Christmas season together looking at the gospel of Luke, Hope is born. Now, while you're turning to 1 John, let me tell you about one of the most famous comic strips in American pop culture, Little Orphan Annie. Little Orphan Annie is a comic strip about a mop-headed, red-headed little child who grew up in an orphanage but was taken in by kind of a stern couple. In fact, they would refer to the father of this couple as Daddy Warbucks. Now, some of you are old enough to remember when this first started. I had to read about it back in history. But the idea is that it's a, a pretty famous comic strip. She's uh, laughable and mischievous, but she's always full of hope. In fact, Little Orphan Annie has been adapted to stage plays and Broadway shows and even movies, probably the most famous being in the 80s, with the little redhead singing. Now, if you're familiar with the movie at all, you're probably familiar with the song Tomorrow. It is famous with little Annie. The song lyrics describe a little girl who may be worried about today, but she's always hopeful because tomorrow may come. L let me just read to you the lyrics. I'll spare you from singing them to you. Let me read to you the lyrics. The sun will come out tomorrow. Bet your bottom dollar that tomorrow there'll be sun. Just thinking about tomorrow clears away the cobwebs and the sorrow till there's none. When I'm stuck with a day that's gray and lonely, I just stick out my chin and grin and say, oh, the sun will come up tomorrow. So you got to hang on till tomorrow. Come what may tomorrow, tomorrow. I love you tomorrow. You're always a day away. It's a hopeful song that maybe however today is going, Tomorrow is coming. There's actually some Christian thought behind this. We learn from the psalmist that the sun comes in the morning or the dawn breaks. There's hope for tomorrow. The problem is, and here is where I would ask you to think boldly, the problem is the little girl in her song is completely wrong. She's absolutely wrong in hoping about tomorrow because the little red-headed orphan in the song actually has no idea if tomorrow will come. She has no clue if tomorrow will actually take place. She can't control the rising of the sun or the setting, and she certainly can't control the number of days of her life. So while she's singing hopefully about tomorrow, she really is foolishly wishing that tomorrow will come up. Now, why do I tell you that? Because while that's a silly little illustration of that, I think it reminds us of something very important, and I want you to hear me now clearly. There is very little in this life we can be sure about. There is very little we can be confident in. There is very little we can anchor and say, I know this is true. In fact, if you think about just this year, the vitality or the, uh, the, the turnover, if you will, of the, the markets, the stock markets going up and down, health going up and down, schools opening and closing, 
places opening and closing to wear a mask or to not wear a mask will be Shakespeare one day, right? The idea is, is we're not sure about tomorrow. We're not sure about relationships. We're not sure about health. We're not sure if we'll see tomorrow. In fact, in all of our wisdom, we can't even be sure about the weatherman's prediction. We're not sure. There is a lot of uncertainty in this world, sickness, relationships, economy, politics, viruses. There is a lot we're not sure about. And if we're not careful, we can get lost in the frailness of this life. We can get turmoil in the idea that we're not sure and we can become paralyzed in our life. We can be fearful of what to do next because everything is shaky ground. But John John will tell us in these last few verses that while there is much in this world that we are uncertain about, there are many things that we're not sure of. Because we are in Christ, there are promises given to us from God that we can, as they say, take to the bank. We can be sure. Brothers and sisters, I want you to see this morning in John's final words how a Christian can be confident where we can find our assurance, where we can build our life. I don't know if the sun will come up tomorrow. I don't know if it'll come up on everyone or if it'll even come up for me tomorrow. I'm not sure. But I'll lay out my clothes and I'll set my alarm and I'll plan as if it does, but it's just a hope and a wish that I will make it to tomorrow. But regardless of whether tomorrow will come, I am certain that the Lord will be with me. I am certain that God is good. I am certain that Christ has saved me. I am certain that his promises are true. And so what John does is he brings us to the end of his letter and he says, now let me build you up. Let me remind you of what is sure. Join me in your copy of God's word at 1 John chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. And we'll read to the end of the chapter, beginning in verse 13. John the Apostle writes these words. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked him of. Verse 16, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. To those who commit sin that do not lead to death, there is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. Verse 18, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but who has been born of God, God protects him and the evil one does not touch him. We know we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. In verse 21, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Let's pray together. Father, over the next few moments, Lord, we pray that you would give us strength and courage from your word, that you would build us up in confidence. Father, more than ever, it seems that we understand just how fragile this life is, how worn down we can be by the uncertainty all around us. God, our stirring hearts and our feeble legs, we need to know again where our hope lies, where our confidence is. We need you to strengthen us again. 
Lord, I pray right now through the power of your word and the work of your spirit, you would. You would remind us of who we are in you. Lord, I pray if if there be one here or or watching online, Lord, that that as we walk through this sermon, as we look at these verses, that they, they have uncertainty, they have questions. Lord, I pray that your spirit would fall on them. They would run to you, and you would would scoop them in your loving arms, Lord. You would rescue them from their sin and their sickness and their sorrow. Father, we pray now that you would would bless us as we study your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you notice in the text that we just read, Paul uses the phrase, we know, several times. He says that you may know or we know. That's his way of enumerating the things that he's laying out for us. And he's using this idea of knowing what we have in Christ. He's trying to build us up. Now, for five chapters, he's been setting the church straight. He's been arguing with them about who the real Jesus is and and how sin matters to God and how we are to live our lives and, and how to spot those who are not with Jesus that may come and try to hurt us or fool us. He's been walking them through this. He's been fighting for them and fighting with them at times. And now he will lay down his fighting pen, if you will, and pick up his encouraging pen. He will finish the letter by looking at this fragile, worn, torn church that's been ravished by wolves. And he will say, let me remind you of what you have in Jesus. He will finish the letter by encouraging us. He will bring together the themes that he's been walking through, through the whole text. He will pick them up again and turn them around like looking through the different sides of a diamond. He will show us the beauty of God in many ways. But ultimately, in these last few verses, he will give us application. He will say, because you know the real Jesus, because you've come to the truth of God, here's how you should live. Here's how you should walk. Here's how you should think about this world. And so I simply want to show you this morning a couple of truths about our confidence in Christ, where we can draw our confidence from. So truth number one, simply this, we have confidence in God's promise. We have confidence in God's promise. Look with me at verse 13. John will say these words, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Now John makes it clear why he's written this letter. In fact, he's said this a couple of times, but he will finish by making sure we understand. He says, I'm writing all of this to you for one central reason. I'm writing this whole letter to the church so that you will know Jesus and have eternal life. Now, brothers and sisters, let's think on that for a moment. John, in one verse, is summing up the entire story of the gospel. He's summing up the entire story of the Bible. He's summing up the entire story of God's love for us. And he's simply pressing in and saying, everything I've written, everything I've told you about, everything I want you to hear, all boils down to this. Know Jesus. And when you know Jesus, you are given eternal life. All of scripture points to Jesus. All of the story leads us to Jesus. All of the Bible drags us to the feet of the cross so that we will see the Savior who came and died for us. All of Scripture proclaims, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. This is the one who's come to rescue. This is the Messiah on high that brings us into the presence of God. And John says very clearly, you can have confidence. Why? Because God has promised you eternal life. Can you think of a better gift? Can you think of a better gift than knowing you will be forever with God? 
Can you enumerate anything higher than that? Can you find anything other than that? I'm thinking as we're walking into the Christmas season, how lists will be made and presents will be bought. And not 24 hours after it's over, somebody's children, though not mine, I promise, will say, hey, next year I want this. (laughs) Because we're thinking about what could be better. But John says, this is the promise of God. You get to be with me forever. Brothers and sisters, there is nothing sweeter than knowing we get to be with God. There is nothing sweeter than knowing that we will transition out of life. May it be through death, but death will not be victorious and we will be with the Father. And John says, everything I've written you is to point you to this beautiful truth. He would say this in his gospel account as well. In the gospel of John, verse 20, verse 31, at the end of the gospel of John, he writes these words. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that by believing you may have life in his name. John says everything is to point you to Jesus so that you may have life. He's giving us confidence in the promise of God that we hold to this. But notice the word that he uses. Look at verse 13. I write these things who believe in the Son of God that you may know. You see that word know there? It's not the idea of memorizing something mental. It's not just knowing the facts. The word know there in the Greek literally means to lay hold of, to grab with certainty, to make sure this is the place that you're going to anchor your life. So John's not saying that if you just know the facts of Jesus, you're going to have eternal life. What John is saying is is that if you hold to Jesus, if you grab Jesus, if you believe that he is God in the flesh, the God-man who came to save you, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, carried our sin to the cross, was cursed for us, laid down his life, and rose again, and you know that that's the only place where you will find your hope, and you know that's the only place you will look for salvation, then John says, know it and hold him. And notice what he tells us. If you know it, you have eternal life. Brothers and sisters, I I don't know if the sun will come up tomorrow, but I know if it doesn't, it ain't going to matter to me because I have Jesus and Jesus has given me eternal life. There is confidence in knowing about eternity. You see, I I can live in the here and now because I know about the coming. I know about the other side of the hill. I know about the morning that's going to dawn. And so now I can live with confidence. In the 90s, Southwestern Airline ran a promotional. $59 and you got a surprise round trip ticket to any city in the USA. You didn't know where you were going to go until you showed up at the airport. But for $59, you could take a last-minute weekend vacation to a city in the United States. In the Indianapolis airport alone, on the day they were doing the promotion, 1,500 people showed up to get on that one plane going to some majestic, mystical city in the United States. There is a report that in Indianapolis, a man got to the counter, claimed his ticket, and realized they were flying him to Minneapolis, Minnesota. He turned around, held up his ticket, and shouted, I've got a round-trip ticket to the Mall of America. I will literally trade it for anything. (laughs) Mystery tickets are not always fun. Brothers and sisters, notice what he says. You may know. You can be sure. You can be sure about eternity. You can be confident facing tomorrow. You can be sure of what the world may throw at you will not be victorious. Why? Because he says to us in this text, if you know the Son, you have eternal life. By the way, Southwestern Airline went out of business not long after that. Not a very good 
plan. Brothers and sisters, I would say to you that John tells us we have confidence in Christ. And so I would argue that the only thing to do in response is flee to Jesus. Flee to Jesus who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. Flee to Jesus who says, come to me, all you are heavy laden, and I will give you rest for my yoke is light and not burdensome. Flee to Jesus who says, nothing can snatch them from my hand. My sheep hear my voice and they know me and I will lead them to eternity. Flee to Jesus. And in Jesus, we have confidence for today. We have confidence for today. Can we all just attest that this world... This season, this time makes us feel somewhat shaky in our confidence. I don't know if you know this or not, but they don't teach a class in seminary about pastoring through a pandemic. I didn't get to take that one. I can't tell you how many meetings we've had trying to figure out what to do. I've talked to some of our school teachers around the county and in the city. God bless them for trying to figure out what to do. Everything is uncertain. And John leads off with his best promise. But if you know Jesus, you have eternal life. You can have confidence in Christ. And so we will sing the song, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. We have confidence in Christ, in the promise of God for eternal life. Number two, John will tell us simply this. He will say not only will we have confidence in our promise, we'll have confidence in our prayers. Now, you would understand that once you've been born again, there are more promises that unfold from God. Once you're in the family of God, eternal life is, yes, the the promise to be with Christ. But there are more promises that come from being with the Lord, from being in his family. He lavishes us with promises. Look at what he says, verse 14 and 15. He writes these words. He says in verse 14, and this is the confidence that we have towards him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Verse 15. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked for. Now notice what John does. He's, he's walking us down this path of promises. He says, listen, I'm going to give you the first big giant cement anchor to your confidence. If you believe in Jesus, you have eternal life. Nothing this world can do can take you away from the eternal presence of God. You are his and he is yours and your eternity is secure. And you might say, man, that's great, but I still got to face Monday morning. Man, that's great, but I still got to go to Thanksgiving with that side of the family this weekend, right? Like, I know that's good, but what about the here and now? And so what does he do? He leads us to the very first beautiful promise that flows out of eternity. Once I've been saved and brought into the family of God, listen, I don't miss this. I have given direct access to God the Father through prayer. I'm in his family and the Father listens to me. I'm his child And he will hear me. He will let me in his presence. One of the most marvelous promises to the believer is that when we pray, God listens. Can you think about that? Can you think about the fact that the creator of all creation listens to you when you pray? The God who's managing the weather and the wars and the sickness. The God who's holding all things together. But when you bow your head and fold your arms and say, dear Lord, that God is listening to you. What a wonderful thing for us to hear. What a powerful thing for me to know that whatever I face, whatever I'm going through, whatever tomorrow may hold, if the sun comes up, God will hear me. Notice what he says in the text. Not only will God hear me, he'll answer me. 
Now, we have to be very clear about this, but, but I want you to see it because I don't think John is trying to, to give us a, a, a foolish idea. He's simply saying, because you've been promised one day, eternity, you can pray today and be in the presence of God through your prayers. We can have confidence in prayer. But, but notice what he says. He says here in, in verse 14, and this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And then verse 15, if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know, there's those words again, we have the request that we've asked of him. John says, if we're in God and if we pray, he hears us. Not only does he hear us, he answers us. In fact, the way this is written in the Greek, it's emphatic to say he answers us at that moment. Now, we may not realize it till the future. We may not walk into it till later, but he's actually hearing us and moving at that moment. We can have God hear us and answer our prayers. George Mueller would write it this way. He would say prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. It's laying hold of his willingness that we can hear God. We can pray to God and he will answer us. Now, let us be clear, though. There is a caveat. Notice in the text what it says, that if we are in his will, if we ask for in it his Will, Jesus would tell us the same thing. He would say in John 15, 17, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. It'll be given to you. And so we have to be clear here that Jesus is not standing up there like the magical gumball ready to drop everything you ask for. He's not the genie in the bottle. You realize that if God answered all of your prayers, you would be God and he would not. And I've been around most of you. That's not a good idea. The idea is, is that he doesn't answer everything we want him to answer the way we want him to answer. What he's promised in the text is when we pray according to his will, when we walk in his ways, when we obey his commandments, then our heart begins to conform to his and we ask for what he would give us anyway. Now, let me see if I can help you. If my children come to me and say, Dad, I think for dinner tonight I'd like a bowl of ice cream. I'm not going to give them that. But if they come to me and say, Dad, I'd like a bowl of broccoli, I'm going to give them four helpings. Why? Because they asked for what I knew they already needed. They were asking for what was right, what was in the will of their father. Plus, I don't like broccoli, so I give it to them to get rid of it. The idea is that they were asking in the will of the father. This is exactly what God is telling us. That when we conform to the will of God and we begin to pray saying, God, I want to do what's right by you. I want you to lead me. When we talk about the will of God, there are three ways to view it. There is the sovereign will of God, which means he's in control of all things every day. Everything is organized by him. And we have no say over the sovereign will of God. We have no say over what's happening. And then there is what might be called the secret will. And that's the idea of what God is doing in your life for you. And you're praying to find, maybe you have decisions to make, things to do. And that's specific to you. But then there is probably more clearly than all of that, the moral will of God. When you read the scripture, you will find what God has asked of his people, that we are to be holy and righteous, that we are to obey his commandments, that we are to love him and love our neighbor. This is the moral will of God. This is what he desires from his people. So when we approach him in prayer, we must be mindful of that we want to conform to the moral will of God in order to have the secret will of God revealed so that we are not trying to go against the sovereign will of God. And so our prayers become this, God, I want to be the husband you've called me to be. Please help me. I want to be the parent that raises up children that loves you with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Please 
help me. I, I want to be a part of the family of God that serves one another. Please help me. God, at work, Lord, I want to be a witness for you. And once we begin to pray in his will and in his way, he is willing, able, and ready to answer us and give us what we need. He lays on top of us what we ask for because we have prayed his will. One writer put it this way. He said, when we lean into what God, want, God wants, he is overjoyed to answer our petitions. He hears us. Now, before we leave this, I, I don't want to leave you unclear. So look with me at verse 16 and 17, for this is a little bit confusing and it would not be right to leave it there. He gives us an example now of prayer. If anyone sees his brothers committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. To those who commit sin that do not lead to death, there is sin that leads to death. I do not say that the one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that leads to death. Now we got to understand, John is speaking specifically to this first century church that's had false teachers come in and tell them something other than the true gospel. And those people have followed this false gospel. They've left the church and they're headed for death. They're headed for apostasy. They've rejected the story of the real Jesus and they're walking away from the church. And so what John says is that when you're praying and you're asking for God's will, here should be the top of your prayer list. Pray for your brothers and sisters in the church that they would not be lured away into sin. Now, isn't it amazing that God tells us in verse 14 and 15 to pray in his will. And then in verse 16 and 17, the first example we get is to pray for somebody else. Is that not the will of God? Is that not the will of God that we put others before ourselves? Is that not the will of God that we would think more highly of our neighbor than us? The very will of God is that we pray for others. Intercession and praying for one another should be the hallmark of the body of Christ. Listen, if we will pray, and notice the example that he gives us, if we will pray for Aunt Bessie's left ingrown toenail at prayer meeting, we ought to pray for the sin that's entangling her. If we'll pray for one another's job loss and sickness, why would we not get on our knees and plead that our eyes would be pure and our hearts would be good? Why would we not beg one another that we would not be lured into Sin. Then he says, there are those who've rejected Christ and walked away. He's not telling us not to pray for lost people. He's just simply telling us that it won't do no good to pray for their marriage if they're not right with Jesus. It won't do no good to pray for the sin in their volatile language or their anger if they're not right with Jesus. If you reject Jesus, there is no answered prayer that will come your way until you turn and fall on your knees and fall before God and be born again, verse 13 would say. Why? So in verse 14 and 15, you can pray your prayers and God will hear you. And so he promises us, prayer. So where can you draw your confidence from? You draw your confidence from the promise of God. You've been given eternal life. You draw your confidence from our prayers. God will hear us. Number three, simply this, we draw our confidence from God's protection. I want you to notice with me verse 18 and 19. He begins to describe to us how God holds us and keeps us and loves us. Notice what he says in verse 18. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who is born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. Verse 19. And we know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Now notice what he tells us there. You see the word he says, we know. There's that idea again. We lay hold to this. We have confidence in it. And what do we have confidence in? We have confidence in that God is protecting us from Satan. That he is keeping us from the sin that would destroy us. Look with me at verse 18. We know everyone who's been born of God, there it is, does not keep on sinning, but the one who's been born of God is protected, and the evil one does not touch them. Now, that's good to hear. I am often amazed by people in the Christian culture who somehow think they can tell Satan what to do. 
I'm amazed at the people who will get on TV and declare this and declare that and tell Satan to go here and go there and bind them there. Can I let you in on a little secret? Satan is stronger than you. He's more powerful than you. But can I let you in on an even greater secret? When you come to the Lord Jesus, as the text tells us there, that you've been born again, then you can hear the words of Scripture that says, greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world. I might not be able to tell Satan one dead gum thing, but the God who lives in me can. And the God who lives in me is holding me and protecting me. And in fact, if you'll notice there, notice what he says. He will not continue in sin. You know what that means. Listen, now I want to give you hope. Whatever you're battling, whatever you're going through, whatever sickness, whatever sorrow, whatever sin, whatever entanglement, whatever relationship that might be broke, whatever uh, uh, addiction that might be holding on to you, when you come to the Lord Jesus, you have in you the power not to walk in sin, not to progress in sin. You have in the power of the Lord Jesus, his spirit, his word through prayer. You have in your grasp the very ability not to be caught regularly in sin. Now, before you think I'm preaching perfection, look at verse 17. All sin is wrongdoing. Everybody sins. Everybody sins. Everybody struggles. He's not calling to perfection. He's calling to purity. He's telling us now that we're in Christ, we should be walking away from our sin because God is holding Satan from us. I like the way he writes that. He says in here, God protects him and the evil one does not touch him. Now, we, in our mind, think of Satan. What do we think of? We think of a pitchfork, red horns and a little tail, and some claws sticking out, right? If that's the vision you have today, can I just give you a, a little bit of hope? Those claws can't grab you. Now, if you have the real vision, a sneaky snake that whispers in our ear and tries to lead us away, the roaring lion that wants to kill, steal, and destroy, the sinful pledge that will pull our heart away from God, the promise of the world. If you have the real vision of Satan, here's what you need to hear. God won't let it happen. God won't let his children fall. God is protecting them and holding them, rescuing them, sustaining them, fighting our battles for us, if you will. And look at verse 19. And we know that we are from God. Satan may be ruling the world, and wide is the path that leads to destruction, and narrow is the gate, and few will find it. But those that have found it in Christ, they are on that firm path, and they will not be deterred. They will not be taken from the path. They will not be pulled off the way. The lion that's trying to kill, steal, and destroy cannot grab you. It cannot pull you down. Oh, some days may feel like it. It may feel like every arrow Satan's got is aiming only at you and no one else. But listen to me now. When we are in Christ, we are forever, eternally protected. Paul would write it this way in the great chapter of Romans, in Romans chapter 8. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know why I like that verse? Because Paul leaves no stone unturned. Nothing can pull me away from God. And you know what? That even includes my foolishness. God is holding and protecting. My position is safe. I am in the Lord and the Lord is in me. Alexander Ramsey would put it just simply this way. He would say, he is well kept who Christ keeps. We are held by Christ, and we need not look anywhere else. We have this. Oh, 
Satan may attack and it may look uncertain, and I'm not sure what tomorrow will hold, but I know this, whatever tomorrow will hold, God is holding me, and I can be confident. Let us close with this final truth from the text, and that's simply this. We can draw our confidence from our pursuit. Now, what do we mean by this? Look what he says in verse 20 and 21. He'll use the word true here three times. Notice what he says. Here it is again, and we know, we're confident. What are we confident in? That the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true. In his Son, Jesus Christ, he is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Now, here's what he's trying to remind us of. He's trying to remind us simply of this. Listen, whatever the philosophy of the world may tell you, whatever the best-selling book may be at the bookstore, whatever Oprah is saying from her couch, whatever the world is following, listen, you have Christ, you have the truth. You have Christ, you have understanding. While the world may be plunging off the cliff in masses, if you have Christ, be confident you are going the right way. You are pursuing the right things. You are walking in the right direction. You are not fooled. You are not falling. You are not dumb in your understanding. You have the truth. But notice verse 20, how beautiful he writes it. He says, not only this, he gives us understanding so that we may know who is true. Now listen to this part. And we are in him who is true. Now that's a lot different than reciting some facts, isn't it? I am in Christ. Christ is holding me in the right way. Christ is keeping me on the narrow path. Christ is the one who will gather me into the kingdom. Christ is the truth that we pursue. And when we pursue it, he is holding us. So even when I feel like I've failed, the truth is still holding me. The gospel is still grabbing me. You know why I love that? Because my feelings will lie to me in a minute. They will tell me something different. They will tell me this and that about how I feel or, or my shame and my sin or how could God really love me. My feelings will tell me that, well, maybe that wet way is right. I need to listen to that. And, and I can get, as they say, all up in my feelings. But the facts... The facts are that Jesus has come and he is the way, the truth, and the life. The facts are that the truth of Jesus has given me understanding that I may see him and know him and I may believe in him. And here's what's even more beautiful. The facts are that when I believe in him, he grabs me and he holds me. And now I am on the right path. And notice how he finishes in verse 21. It seems a little odd to be honest with you. Little children, keep yourself from idols. It's almost like John didn't know how to write. I love you. I'll see you later. It's almost like he wasn't sure how to finish the letter. Like, what what do I put here? I don't think it's out of place. Let's be reminded, this is Holy Scripture. Every syllable, every sentence, every word is from God. And so let us be clear that this is not a throwaway sentence that John just tags on. Let's think about what John has been doing for five chapters. For five chapters, he's been laying out Jesus. He's been saying, this is the true Jesus. This is the right Jesus. This is the way to salvation. This is eternal life. This is where all your hopes should be built. This is where all your joy will come. This is where your prayers will be answered. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And so what is the one thing that will pull us away from Jesus looking somewhere else? And so how does he finish? He says, little children. That's his grandfatherly apostle way of saying, my little children. Listen now. Listen. I I can just see him sitting in the chair while we gather around on the reading carpet in kindergarten. Listen, little children. Don't let anything, anything 
pull your eyes away from Christ. Because if you pull your eyes away from Christ, you've lost the right pursuit. You've made your prayers ineffective because you're not in the will of God. You, you allow yourself to be open up to those feelings where maybe I'm actually losing this battle. And before long, Satan will even whisper in your ear, do you think you're really going to heaven? See, our feelings will begin to pull us away. Idols are anything that take our eyes from Christ. It can be our family, our relationships, our jobs, power, popularity, our health. Idols are anything that would pull our eyes from Jesus. But when we pull our eyes from Jesus, all of our confidence begins to fall. For it is in Jesus and Jesus alone that we find our confidence. This is why we would say we will not accept anything less and there is no substitute. My hope is built on nothing else but Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I'll stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Let's pray together. Father. We thank you this morning that we have this overwhelming confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. God, we thank you that, that this confidence in Christ is because you came for us. You saved us. You changed our life. We did nothing to deserve it. We certainly did not merit it. We could not afford it. You came. You love us. You built us up. You call us sons and daughters. And now because we've been born again in Christ, we have all of this confidence we can walk with. Lord, we don't know. We don't know which politicians will lead us or what day this virus will disappear. We don't know what the weather will be tomorrow. We don't know what friend or family member might celebrate their last Christmas with us. We, we don't know if the sun will come up tomorrow. But we know for sure that in Christ Jesus we have eternal life. And that you hear our prayers and you are protecting us. And our pursuit of you is right and true. And we will build our life on nothing else. God, help us. Help us have confidence to walk in you. Brothers and sisters, your eyes are closed and your heads are bowed. You've heard the word of the Lord this morning. So now I'll offer you a chance to respond. Maybe it's simply just sitting where you are saying, Lord, I'm sorry that I feel so weak and feeble. That I doubt you, Lord. I, I don't want to doubt you anymore. Maybe you as a believer find yourself entangled in sin and you need to be reminded that Satan doesn't get the win. That in Christ you have the power of victory over sin. You need to confess it and turn from it. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, Brother Coy, I'm not sure if the sun doesn't come up tomorrow where I'll be. I'm not sure about eternity. And brother, sister, the text tells us you must believe in Jesus. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verses 13, or excuse me, verses 10 through 13, that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus Christ came and died according to the Scripture and was buried according to the Scripture and rose again, then we shall be saved. Romans 10, 13 says, For whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. John 1 and 12 says, For as many as received him and have believed in him, they have the right to be called sons and daughters of God. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. That whoever believes in him will not die, but have everlasting life. Brother or sister, hear me now. You want to be confident in eternity, flee to Jesus. 
In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing one verse of a chorus. We're going to sing, giving you a chance to respond. Maybe you want to come down and pray at these stairs. You want to consecrate this moment before the Lord. Maybe you want to take me by the hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. Maybe you just want to sing to the Lord. You want to be reminded. We're going to sing Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. What a great song for us to end on. Father, bless our time of response. Stir our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us as we sing?